Welcome to the Future of Australia podcast, where your host, Derek Stewart, interviews the entrepreneurs and founders running the 100 fastest growing new businesses in Australia. On episode 66, I speak with Greg Reel and Jacob Carlisle, the co-directors of Hot Property along with Jacob's father, who founded the business and is one of the co-directors to this day. We discuss how they leverage the foundation of an established business to bring new energy and ideas, acquiring competitors, growing by 284% last financial year, doing over $2.2 million in annual revenue, becoming one of the fastest growing new businesses in Australia. We discuss family business dynamics, how Greg experimented with being a sign writer and an accountant, before finding his fit in real estate and having over 1,100 properties under management. Why Toowoomba is a booming region of Australia with a massive internal migration to southeast Queensland and why they attribute their success to excellent systems and processes and a passion for continual learning and improvement. If you're looking for help to buy, sell or rent in the Toowoomba region, check out qldhotproperty.com.au. That's Q-L-D-H-O-T-P-R-O-P-E-R-T-Y.com.au. So I'm here with Jacob Carlisle and Greg Reel, the co-directors of Hot Property. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us, Sarah. Thanks very much. That's all right. Great to have you here. So can you tell us what were you doing before you started Hot Property? What did each of you study? What were your early jobs or roles? Yeah, so I started straight out of school, went into corporate finance, worked for Morgan's, Australia's largest retail stockbroking and corporate advisory firm, which have a branch here in Toowoomba, which was great. So studied corporate finance for four years. And then uh, at the end of that four-year degree, had the opportunity to go into stockbroking, uh, which I thought was my passion. Dad came to me with the opportunity to acquire part of his business being a hot property business that my dad started 20 years ago, so in 2002. And basically, he came to me and said, look, I'm I'm ready to retire. I've lined up a buyer for my business, but I feel like I should give you an opportunity first. And we'd never discussed it before. We'd never even entertained the idea of me going into the family business. And we just sort of sat down and had a bit of a chat about it, had a bit of a chat about the numbers because I'd had that background and that that qualification in in finance, I knew what I was looking at or what I was trying to find in a good business, and yeah, just jumped on that. Went and saw the bank. We restarted hot property in a, in a brand new entity. Acquired the assets out of the other businesses. Started off for two years. It was my dad and myself that ran the business, and then Greg came into the business as a director and shareholder after two years of me being in the business. When I came into the business and took over, we had four staff. We had about 150 properties under management. And now we've got 21 staff and just under 1,200 properties under management just in the Toowoomba region. So we've grown phenomenally quickly. And yeah, then Greg came in and we've continued to grow since then, which is really exciting. So so if we go back to your background, so you're interested in sort of stocks as a kid or as a teenager, you were tracking the stock market. Was that sort of hobby as a growing up? Yeah, very much so. I was always reading the, the stock market page in the newspaper. You know, I used to sit down. That was the most interesting part of the newspaper, which I don't know a lot of, you know, 15, 16-year-old kids know how to read that and what that means. But, you know, dad taught me very young about, about money and building wealth and what that looked like. And he dabbled a little bit in the stock market. So I just learned bits and pieces and was really self-taught until I decided that was what I wanted to do and to study that full-time at university. Sometimes there's a bit of a divide between real estate and investing in real estate versus sort of stocks and bonds and shares. And yeah, I mean, did your dad sort of say, oh, hey, you know, you should spend more time on real estate or he respected that you're interested in investing? He thought, well, that's good. Like, that, you know, his kids are sort of interested in money and business, but he didn't sort of try and sway you towards the real estate side away from the stock? Not really, no. We've, even dad himself has always had a very balanced view of, of real estate. Dad's a builder by trade, so he's got, you know, no formal business qualifications or or finance qualifications under his belt. So um, I think what he can teach me about property, I can teach him about stocks and vice versa. And yeah, it, it's a really good collaborative partnership that, that dad and I have. And 
And then we've added Greg into the mix as well. And what was it like once you actually got a job? Like you studied corporate finance, got a job at a firm. Was it better than you hoped for? Was it less fun when, you know, you're dealing with clients and it's not just, you know, looking at the paper, you're actually sort of dealing with the reality of the business? It was really cool because it was just looking at the newspaper, but on a wider scale and and helping other people with that. So that was really interesting. Um, my job in the in the stockbroking firm was to do up all the formal advice documents. So doing the statements of advice and you know those long, thick bound books where you're researching the companies, providing recommendations, why you're providing those recommendations, reading the research notes from the research analysts. So I really love that, and that's what I really like now is still you know still dabble in the stock market definitely and love to look at other businesses and ultimately what I wanted to get out of the corporate finance degree was to be an investment banker and set up mergers and acquisitions for other companies and realistically that's what we do on a much smaller scale for our own business now we've done a number of acquisitions for the hot property business so it's really cool to be able to do that for yourself not just do that for clients and never see you know any of the how to make the sausage, if you will, and the behind the scenes. So was there a reason why your dad didn't get you involved in the business earlier? Like you said, he kind of gave you first right of refusal to buy it. But was there, did he strategically think, no, he doesn't want to sort of bias you towards the business or he just thought you might not be interested? Yeah, it was just never part of our plan together, really. we There was never any pressure to join the family business and it was just never something that we'd really discussed, to be honest. You know, I'd worked in the business and done marketing and, and I've been working in the real estate business since I was you know able to walk and talk and you know learn how to shake hands and networking events and all that sort of thing. But yeah, it was just never part of part of our plan. I was to forge my own way and the hot property business was his thing and he was just happy that it provided for us as a family, but it was never going to be a big legacy piece for him. But it's since changed quite substantially from then. Yeah, and so, so Greg, what about on your side? What were you doing before you got involved with Hot Property? What did you study? What were some of your early jobs or work that you did? Yeah, absolutely. So um, fresh out of school, I thought I'd be a, a tradie and went and um, pursued a trade in sign writing. So just uh, graphic design and cutting up stickers and doing light boxes and whatnot. And it hit me over Christmas holidays one year that, hey, my long-term ambitions is to be a business owner and I just couldn't see it being in a sign writing capacity. So that Christmas break, I went and applied to go to our local university, UniSQ, and go into that and go and get the necessary skills to be able to complete a bachelor degree. A few short years later, I had finished that bachelor's degree in business and commerce, dual majoring in business law and accounting, and entered into the accounting industry. At the same time, I really started at uni as a junior accountant, working in public practice. So taxes, setting up companies, helping business owners run their business, essentially. I went between two boutiques, <laughs> that's it, firms in Toowoomba here. And um, we worked on like just small CFO type arrangements with many businesses in town and just helped them go beyond like a vast tax accountant. And that really sparked my passion for being a business owner going, hey, this is really enjoyable and really fun. And it hit a point for me where I went, I want to be on the other side of this arrangement where I want to be the business owner into this day-to-day decision-making process and have a bit more control over over the next few steps of my life. So when I finished up at uni, Jacob and I were at similar points in, in our journey and Jacob sort of approached me and said, hey, mate, like, don't know what your next moves are, but we'd really love some internal help with our accounts. Well, what do you think about coming across and taking up a bit of equity and heading up our finance division? And I looked at the books and went through the due diligence process and um, realized there was a lot of growth still to be had out of the business and came on board October 2021 and off we went. You mentioned you liked the trade of sign writing, but the business side didn't seem as appealing. Was it like the people you're doing an apprenticeship under? It seemed like a bit of a not a best industry to be in or was there you know, even parts of the trade that didn't really click that made you not want to pursue it further? Look, I saw limited growth opportunity. Like you you get a printer and you go, yeah, this is awesome. I can do this. And then you build your business and then you hit a wall. Like, oh, shit, I need another $150,000 printer. And with the rapid rate of technology advancement, by the time you've paid off that printer, it's time to get a new one that can do more functionality, print quicker, print on different substrates. It's always a cat and mouse game. 
And then I thought, in 40 years' time, do I want to be cutting stickers? <laughs> and, and the answer was no. So I started to look outside the scope there. My dad was a carpenter or is a carpenter and mum's a fantastic accountant herself. And so I also grew up in small business, not to the extent of Jacob, but I, I saw that that was definitely a field that I'd love to play in and didn't know where I'd end up. But I thought that having the business skills that I could learn through a tertiary degree would definitely set me up for whatever presented itself. And how did you decide between going to university versus, say, picking another trade? Like you quickly saw it wasn't a good trade necessarily, high capital, quick depreciation, difficult industry. But did part of you say, well, maybe I could go into carpentry versus accounting? And, and did your parents sort of influence that decision at all? Well, in all transparency, I tried to be a sparky with the army, but my knee blew out. <laughs> <laughs> and then I thought, oh, what else can I do? What am I interested in? And thought accounting would be a perfect fit, which it is. I've always been the person trying to get down to the brass tacks of things and always had a very keen interest in money and how to make it and what to do with it once you've got it. So it just makes sense. So a lot of accountants at a certain point might buy in as partner of an accounting firm or, or start their own accounting firm, but not a lot sort of leave the, I guess, professional service space. As a business owner, they might be an employee on a client side, but what made you want to buy into Hop Property, but not necessarily buy into, say, an accounting firm? Yeah, absolutely. Hop Property and real estate, so I was just trying to figure out how to frame that. With public accounting, it's really hard not to remain front-facing. You build up such a brand around yourself and your service and your knowledge. It's so compartmentalized. No matter how hard you work to share your knowledge with your employees, your client base is directly attracted to you. It's really hard to expand the business beyond yourself, especially in such a relational market like Toowoomba. And I saw massive concerns for myself being able to build an accounting practice, whether I was a partner or a um, sole practitioner, beyond myself because not to be disrespectful to the accounting industry, the typical public accountants aren't too charismatic um, and, and aren't really fantastic in that network building. And to find accountants like that is very few and far between. And I thought real estate, especially hot property, is a fantastic business vessel to, one, achieve growth, build a business that's beyond a personal brand, and to set up an enduring structure that will last way beyond my tenure. Yeah, so you really had a mindset to growth and scale, right? I guess from the sign writing to the accounting firm, you're really looking, what's the business model? Can it scale? Can it grow? Can the owner extract themselves? Are they always sort of in the middle? So all it sounds like every step of the way, you're really looking at the business model and the industry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which is important, but I think a lot of people don't do that. So again, also, like sometimes, I guess there's multiple layers. Jacob, there's you buying into the business from your father, and then Greg, you buying in as a non-family member and, and coming in a little bit later. What were those dynamics like? Were there any difficult parts or any times where you thought it might be easier for the two of you just to start your own thing or it was worth it to, you know, still start a family business and then also bring in additional equity partners? I think there's probably times where Greg gets caught in the middle of dad and my debacles personally. You know, I've I've been dad for 24 years and I see much more than just the business facing side of my dad. And I understand probably a bit more how he works and you know how, how he functions personally as well as just from a corporate perspective. I have absolutely no doubts that Greg gets caught in the crosshairs sometimes. But you know, I, I've always had a great respect for my dad and a great working relationship with my dad as well. So even if we do have a disagreement somewhere along the line, we're big enough and you know, stupid enough to say sorry to one another and move on and, you know, everything gets resolved. So, you know, regardless of what's said in the boardroom and we can have some discussions in the boardroom that I'm sure make Greg uncomfortable and I'm happy to challenge dad on things and he's happy to challenge me on things. So, yeah, I, the family dynamic doesn't bother me and I think I have the same challenges with Greg and Greg probably has the same challenges with me. Yeah, but it really hats off to the Carlos. Like they are very good at leaving business at the business and family life at home. There's really been no big, big issues with it being their family and my family. It feels like one big family, to be honest. And they're all healthy business conflicts. It's not because Jacob's left a teaspoon out at home. Not that he lives at home, but <laughs> there's not things um, rolling through from their personal family lives because it, it's a healthy family unit to start with. But they also have made it very clear that. 
they don't want to saturate that relationship with different parts of their lives, um, is my understanding anyway. And, yeah, there, there's been no qualms there. And so what was the first 12 months like? Once, Greg, you've bought in, you're all sort of in it, like you've got the transition entity yourself, Jacob, from your father. What was that first sort of 12 months like once you're really in charge, you're all together, you're all trying to actively sort of grow it and improve it? That October 2021 was a big month for the business. Obviously, I, I stepped in, but that wasn't one of the bigger things that happened. A deal to buy another real estate office in Toowoomba had also closed on literally the same week, mm. which doubled the business overnight with yeah. how many employees started at that same time. So we have three employees overnight, no owner involvement from that previous business as well. And it was literally doubling our business overnight from a Thursday to a Friday. And trust me, buying a, buying a business and settling on a Friday is not what you want. You want it to settle <laughs> midweek so you don't have to work all weekend just picking up the pieces because there's always things that are going to go wrong. But yeah, it, it was just a hectic 12 months of growth and learning what we didn't know as well as what, you know, executing what we did know. Which Like what, what were some of those challenges? Was there a specific thing that sticks in your memory trying to consolidate and integrate those, you know, your current business with the new business? We're trying to integrate a new director into a into a business that has doubled overnight. We've got three new team members that we don't really know very well. You know, there were HR difficulties, there were operational difficulties. Greg can probably shed a bit more light on some of those items, I guess. One way that I looked at it, because the business had doubled, we have a lot of new faces, is this isn't really a fresh stamp on this business because we've diluted the existing culture that was in the business and we had a fresh opportunity to form this into exactly what we wanted this to look like for employee satisfaction, the staff culture, for how we operate as a business unit. And myself, Jacob and Leon took that very seriously. And that 12 months, well, it didn't take 12 months, but culture was number one priority. Like If we didn't have that culture piece right, nothing else was going to work because we would have high staff turnover, we'd have unhappy owners because they weren't operating in the property method they signed on for so we just really focused on that and that was that was a big task and molding two businesses together that operated a bit differently that 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 is a big thing and it's not something to be overlooked and something that should really form part of a due diligence consideration when you are going through that process and bringing staff over and how did you set that vision of the culture? Because people use the word culture, but everyone's got a different idea. Is it a work hard, play hard? Is it a family vibe? Is it a, you know, learning and growth vibe? How did you sort of define the culture for the, the current and the new employees? And then how did you sort of to live up to that and execute it? Yeah, absolutely. We as a board had a vision for our culture and what we're here to do. But we felt that if we were to go into a staff meeting and say, this is who we are and this is how we're going to act. And if you don't do that, there's going to be consequences. So we rounded everyone up into our boardroom and said, okay, this is hot property. What are we? What do we stand for? What's important to us? And how do we want to operate within our market? And we sat down and we wrote it all out and we said, okay, well, this is, this is what we are going to do and this is what we're going to hold you accountable for. If you step outside this, there will be consequences. And we got that buy-in from our team. And that made it a lot easier to enforce our expectation. So running exercises over the, over the months of, okay, let's broaden this. What does this mean? Like we said that we want to act like a family business because we are a family business. Well, what does that entail to you? We expand on that. Well, that means that we help each other out. We put our clients first and we overserve our clients, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Sorry, X, Y, Z, you, you didn't really overserve the client there. You, you haven't responded to an email before close of business. That's an expectation. Let's, let's get it done. It, it's just finding what they are at an overarching level and then drilling into it with the team buy-in. And, and that made things so much easier to get things how we wanted it. And were there some people who kind of didn't get on board and like kind of pushed back a bit or it took longer or just said like, I'm not the right fit for this and... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, there were people that weren't on board. You know, they weren't the right people to have on the bus. If you, you know, if you subscribe to that methodology, and you know, they swiftly hopped off the bus, and it was pretty mutual at that point. And it's really, it's about dictating what you are, 
but also what you're not. And the team calls that out. If you build that to a to a good enough point, it's not you as HR and as the person that has to have that exit interview. It's actually the team that really calls that out and they know in advance that they're not the right fit. And so you've grown very quickly, as you've said, 284% last financial year, doing over 2.2 million annual revenue, becoming one of the fastest growing new businesses in Australia. So can you talk us through your, I guess, M&A strategy, like you've planned the sort of growth by acquisition and I imagine, you know, referrals and marketing, the normal sort of channels, but is that a key strategic center point to grow through acquisition or were you doing your normal marketing and sales activities and just various opportunities came up to acquire other similar firms? Yeah, so we actually, for, for our three acquisitions that we've made, We've actually been approached by those other real estate agency owners in the Toowoomba region. So we weren't referred to them through a rent roll broker or through a business broker. They've actually approached us. And, and I put that down to the excellent business that my father's built, but also the great respect that he has as an operator within the region. As I said, you know, we were managing 140 properties. That's not a lot. We had four staff. We weren't like a mover and shaker. Now we're in the we're in the top two or three agencies in the region. We're not part of a franchise group as a Ray White or an LJ Hooker or any of those. So we're we're an independent agency, and my dad's built a great amount of respect with the local business community. That's resulted in those opportunities coming to us. So we haven't had to actively seek those out. They've come across our desk, and we've assessed them with my corporate finance background. You know, my dad's just general real estate knowledge and 20 years of business experience. And then Greg's overlay of, of our, as being our CFO and our corporate advisor, really, within the business to say, yes, this is a good opportunity or no, this is not a good opportunity. And we've said no to opportunities, but we've also said yes to some really big ones. And they've, that's resulted in the growth that we've had. I think the growth that we've had has also come down to systems and processes, absolutely. And so if those businesses had not approached you, do you think you would have looked for opportunities to acquire firms or you would have just said, no, we'll just grow our rent roll, the normal, you know, sort of marketing referrals, other, you know, traditional sort of channels, just trying to seek out more properties under management? I think it would have definitely, like we would have sought those opportunities out because mergers and acquisitions is what I wanted to do from an investment banking perspective way back when. The fact with a, with a residential or a commercial rent roll, you can leverage that which is one of the very few business assets in Australia that you can leverage. So we've got a really good relationship with our business banking manager where we can say, hey, this is the opportunity. There's equity within this business that we can leverage to be able to grow, which is pretty nerve-wracking, you know, when you're 24 years old or less at the time, 22 years old at the time, signing off on quite substantial loans that you're personally guaranteed and you know, my personal house was tied up in it and, you know, they're, they're pretty big deals, but that was how we chose to grow and it's worked out well so far and we'll continue to do that. And what about the the clients? So your property owners that you manage their, their properties, did any of them feel some friction? Like, again, they're used to dealing with a certain person, they're used to maybe a certain old process and you say, hey, I'm the, the new owner, the new process, like we mentioned about staff, not always getting in line with the culture. Did some of the, the clients sort of struggle to get on board or decide that, you know, they were going to sort of churn once the acquisition was over? Yeah, definitely. We've faced different struggles with that, with each acquisition that we've made. So each have presented their own unique challenges with the clients that we've brought on as well. You know, we've come from all of the offices that we've purchased have been franchised offices. So they've been part of larger networks within Australia and they've come to an independent agency. And if these are investors out of Sydney or Melbourne or even Brisbane, they haven't heard of us. We're an independent operation. We only have one office here in Toowoomba. And my dad started the business 20 years ago. So they don't know us from a bar of soap. So it's our job. We're on the back foot from day one to establish that relationship. That meant getting on the phones and talking to every single owner, every single tenant. You know, as a tenant, you're living in a house and overnight the the agency that's looking after you changes the person that you report you're leaking tap to. You know, there were hot water systems that failed before we even had the chance to 
say good day to the owners and introduce ourselves as who we were. So there was, yeah, really unique challenges and there was friction definitely, but being very cognizant of our values and how we operate and how we've gotten to this point is how we've pushed through those and overcome those challenges. You've mentioned uh, that you're in Toowoomba. That's where your office is based. That's where you're both based. You're one of the only fast-growing businesses, probably not just this year, but in, in most of the recent years, I've been sort of interviewing the AFR Fast Starters that is based in a, in a regional area. What are some of the positives you might say to another business owner who's in Melbourne, Sydney, or Brisbane that they might not have thought of as sort of operating in Toowoomba from what you've experienced? I wrote tax discounts. Like we were discussing before the podcast started, Toowoomba's in a really unique location. We're two hours from Brisbane and we're two hours from the real country. We get a real diverse look into a lot of different industries. We're part of the agricultural industry. We've got the only private-owned airport in the country, I believe, Yeah, yeah, which exports internationally and has domestic flights and now international flights. And then we've got really good professional services businesses within Toowoomba. So we have a really diverse form of funding coming through the, the region, which just makes it so good to do business because there's so many of them here. We've recently got $13 billion worth of infrastructure investment into the region, which is just pumping our jobs through the roof, which is great. I think we're um, estimating a 1,000 new jobs in the region mm. over the next year, which is just huge considering we've already got a rental vacancy of, what is it, Jacob? It's less than 0.4% in our vacancy rate, so we don't have enough housing supply because of the growth of the region's experience, which a lot of Australia is experiencing. Mm. But, yeah, we're really feeling it. We're the second lowest vacancy rate in the state of Queensland at the moment. How much of this was sort of changing pre-COVID and how, like some of the infrastructure and the long-term sort of plans and, like you said, the industry Mm. backbone that's been there for years and how much has sort of, or what changes have you seen amongst the sort of recent COVID years? Yeah, it's been really interesting to watch that from a macro perspective and then also from a micro perspective. Southeast Queensland, which is where Toowoomba is, uh, has experienced the largest regional migration in Australia's history. So we've seen people come out of the capital cities and come to regional centres like Toowoomba. Our infrastructure has, or our, our increased infrastructure spend has enabled that growth to occur. We do need some more housing supply, which uh, is a, our challenge at the moment. But um, other than that, we've kept up really, really well. Toowoomba's also got such a livability aspect to it. So you can get a four-bedroom, two-bathroom, double-car garage on a quarter-acre block. You can get that for under $500,000 in Toowoomba. You can rent it for less than $500 per week in Toowoomba. You know, that's incredibly livable to someone who's been living in a one-bedroom apartment in Brisbane and paying $800 a week and not even getting a car space and having to catch the train to work. So Toowoomba's awesome from that perspective. And I've lived here my whole life. I, I love this part of the world and where I've chosen or where we've chosen to, to base ourselves and raise our families. But you know, it's changed dramatically since COVID. And I think Toowoomba has certainly benefited from that regional migration piece and the livability piece that we offer. And so are a lot of those people, people in Brisbane who might have a, a job they need to go into one day a week or two days a month and they just, they've moved out and then they, again, drive back now and then. Um, yeah, is absolutely. that a major demographic? Yeah, we, we've got a lot of that, just a, a work from home capacity. You know, we've got good internet connection and, um, you know, fiber to the premises, NBN in a lot of locations. So, you know, people can work from home very sustainably in Toowoomba. They can commute to Brisbane or the Gold Coast or the Sunshine Coast even. So if you did work a couple of days a week down in the capital city, very easy to to do that. And so you mentioned housing, obviously, is sort of an opportunity, I suppose, for a builder and a town planner and people in those spaces. You've mentioned the airport. Are there other sort of things in professional services or, I guess, entertainment and hospitality that you sort of see, uh, again, a lot of growth in Toowoomba at the moment? Yeah, so we're actually in the process of setting up some complementary businesses to be an add-on service to our clients in the body corporate space uh, because we're seeing a lot more development in multi-dwelling, you know, uh, developments come through in the region, just a property maintenance business because all of our building supplies are so short and builders are so busy that even just getting a handyman can be difficult in Toowoomba at the moment. So we're actively looking to expand uh, into complementary businesses that 
act as a, a gateway drug to, to our real estate business and backwards and forwards between those. But yeah, there's definitely opportunities. You know, we've got a, a handful of really good town planners in Toowoomba that are just pumping out development applications and approvals and lot subdivisions and boundary realignments and all that sort of stuff. So there's plenty of activity in Toowoomba and there's plenty of room for growth. There's also just such an abundance of, of business in Toowoomba that you can tap into. And are they like Brisbane-based businesses that are opening like an additional office or service delivery in sort of Toowoomba? Are these people in Toowoomba who might have once upon a time moved to Brisbane once they sort of graduate who are now starting businesses? Or again, I guess you see more, I guess, born and bred people from there or do you see people from the, the sort of the coast coming in to want to relocate and run a business there? I think we've probably more seen people who have worked for firms down in the capital cities come back home to Toowoomba and set up their own uh, their own company and their own business in town. We haven't seen the professional services expansion from the capital cities into Toowoomba because we're still easy to commute to, I believe. The expansions that we have seen from the capital cities to the regional centres have been the logistics businesses, have been uh, more of the heavy industrial businesses that physically need more warehouse space and more fabrication facilities and that sort of thing, as opposed to office space. And what about the consumer market? You mentioned, you know, some of your acquisitions of franchise sort of real estate, you know, like a national type franchise. Did people like the fact that you were sort of from Toowoomba? Like it's a bit of a change, like you said, but but it, or was there a divide, I suppose, between someone in Sydney who has an investment property in Toowoomba versus someone in Toowoomba who has investment property and how they, they sort of think about who's managing their property? It really depends on the property owner. Like a lot of the people that were based in the Darling Downs who um, we manage their property for love the fact that we're local and that we're um, family owned and they loved our service. But like Jacob was saying earlier, the interstate people that really didn't know hot property at all and didn't recognise it because it's not a franchise group, we were behind the eight ball from day dot. So it's really just that educational piece of, okay, well, We've been here for X amount of time. Like this is the type of service you're going to get. This is our property numbers per manager. This is your expectation that you should hold us to and we're going to deliver on that. It it is a bit difficult when people are used to household names and they're out of Toowoomba, but we do a really good job to make sure that all our social media and our website is presented very professionally and is an accurate representation of what we're doing in-house. So we make a thing of, if we're going to appear in a video, it's going to be exactly what you're going to get when you come into our office or get us on the phone. We're not trying to smoke and mirror anyone, and that helps us build really good relationships with people outside of Toowoomba once we get the foot in the door. And we've had a fantastic retention rate on those acquisitions in converting these people to, to trusting us with their investment and then going the extra mile when we get given the opportunity. And have you seen a lot of new investors? We mentioned, you know, people coming in, people moving, business coming in. I imagine there's also been a lot of property investors. Like you said, it's affordable, accessible, not just to a homeowner, but also to an investor. Is that something you've, you've seen a, a change with COVID and yeah. other recent changes? Definitely. We've, we've seen a lot of buyers agents come up from Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, uh, act on their clients' behalves and purchasing lots of property in, in the Toowoomba region. Uh, because we manage such a large portfolio of, of properties across the region we think we've got our we've got a really good gauge on who's coming to the region who's leaving the region we've got about 10 percent market share in the Toowoomba region now so you know we can we can actively look at that data and it's actually a true representation of what the market is doing we're not small enough that you know we're only doing a couple of deals and um, that data is being skewed so we can see who's coming who's going and the demographics around that and we've certainly seen those Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne investors be pushed out of their markets because the median house price is now a million dollars. And that's just unachievable for a young couple looking for their first investment. So they might as well come to a regional centre, pay half the, the capital value of the property and be able to get a decent yield and you know grow wealth long term. And for people who might have done mainly business in like a Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, um, and, and they're new to sort of doing more regional-based business, are most things the same or are there some sort of subtleties that some people might not understand about business in, you know, a bigger city versus a, a regional area? I think investing in a regional centre 
you know, 20 minutes from from town is actually quite a drive and you're going to go through some, uh, we're going to go past some um, some empty paddocks and that sort of thing. When investors come to Toowoomba and we show them a property 20 minutes out of town, they feel like they're in the sticks. They feel like they're a million miles away from anything, but it's actually very still very convenient. And if you were 20 minutes away from the CBD in Brisbane, Sydney or Melbourne, you're actually very handy to everything. You're probably still in traffic within the CBD, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, yeah. you know, that, that is a bit of an adjustment. But in saying that, you know, we do have some great infrastructure. We do have an international airport now. We've got the inland rail coming all the way from Melbourne to Brisbane, which comes straight through Toowoomba as well as a logistics hub. So uh, we've got a lot going for us. But when you look at us on a map, we're not super big. And when you come to Toowoomba, we don't have a heap of high rises and it's not the hustle and bustle, but you know we do a lot of business in Toowoomba and a lot of business comes through Toowoomba from all around the country. And so it's a good sort of segue into the next question. You mentioned international travel and airports and overseas. What trends do you see on the ground with sort of entrepreneurship and businesses and fast growth business in Australia? Do you look to any other sort of international markets sometimes, a comparison or to sort of to, to see what other people are doing with property management in other sort of big overseas markets? Oh, absolutely. Like um, Jake and I make sure that we're across everything we can listen to in a week with podcasts and we're subscribe to as many different types of forums and email blasts that we can be a part of from all over the world with the real estate market just to try and get an input of what the trends are. We've recently started a buyer agency division in hot property and that's based off the demand that we are getting but also from what we can see in America with how popular these services are and the fact that it's starting to ramp up in Australia. That's just one instance. We like to look at the marketing of agencies outside of Australia just to get something a bit different. There are a lot of similarities between our local market and a lot of the ones across the world that we like to look at. Trends in the, our local market, though, what can you see? Trends in our local market, I think there's still such an opportunity within Australia and we see so many small businesses and a lot of those small businesses are our clients who just don't have the systems and processes set up. Like Greg was saying about his journey through entrepreneurship, you know, can an owner scale out, scale themselves out of the business? Do they have effective legacy plans beyond just them running the business and then deciding to retire and selling it to someone else? The other businesses that we've acquired, we've, we've taken the opportunity that they haven't set up awesome businesses with systems and processes in place that someone just wants to come in and make it a walk-in, walk-out arrangement. They've actually had to sell the asset within their business and then just wind down the rest of it. So, I think there's still such an opportunity for entrepreneurship in Australia, but you know we're always looking at things with a global lens, and we'd love to build this into a into a massive machine. And why wouldn't we be looking at the best businesses in the world as to how to set this set this up? You know, we've only got 21 employees, but I'd love to operate like we've got thousands of employees and be able to reward our staff and engage with our staff like a family business at the same time. So. We're always taking that into into account. And are there particular insights you've found, like you said, in the marketing, your positioning, your processes from some overseas sort of property management or even non-property businesses that has really made a positive impact in your business? The level of professionalism across just the real estate sector in general, locally here in Toowoomba, Queensland, Australia, and across the world has really been a game changer over the last couple of years. You know, those who can present professionally and can attract an audience worldwide with the content that they're producing and the messages that they're putting out uh, has been a real shift. So you've seen those older operators, potentially like my dad, who don't want to get on board with technology and are happy to leave that to someone else to look after within their business. They will get phased out of the industry. I have absolutely no doubt. And, you know, REA is one of the biggest businesses in Australia, but that's because they understand real estate technology and are getting behind that and continuing to innovate. And if we can be a part of that and utilise the tools that the likes of REA and Domain can put out, but also develop our own, I think that puts us in really good stead. So if we zoom out a bit to each of you individually, 
what advice would you give to someone who's maybe, you know, 18 to 20 right now, they either finished high school or finished uni, maybe interested in real estate, interested in business, but they don't really know. Again, it's a, it's a big industry, right? To go in sales, buyers, mortgage, you know, um, other uh, property management. What would you tell someone who's sort of young and again, maybe a bit of a passion for real estate, but doesn't know which direction to head on, um, you know, maybe, yeah, just some thoughts and reflections. Yeah, definitely. If I had the opportunity to sit down myself at 18 years old, I'll definitely tell myself to get into a lot more networking a lot sooner. The power of meeting people and having connections and going beyond, oh, yeah, is work busy, is just invaluable. To have those connections and those resources at your disposal, you, you just can't quantify the value of that. To be able to call another business owner, whether they're across town or interstate, and go, hey, look, this is what I'm thinking. Well, what's your thoughts? They might save you a lot of money or a lot of wasted time or save you from doing something very damaging. I often call a few business owners from around um, around Queensland and just pick their brain about what I'm thinking about. And to have that before I was actually a business owner or before I started in professional services would have saved me looking like a fool so many times. <laughs> would have really sped up a few things and got me a lot further. And it's something that I really put forward as an importance when I'm scheduling my weeks or my months to make sure I'm making very meaningful connections amongst the local community, but then also trying to spread myself a bit further as well into interstate and then also where I can make connections, particularly in the USA. And do you have advice for how someone, again, that's sort of 18 to 20, is just starting out, can do that? Is it you know, in person? Is it through their alumni? Is it just you know networking events? Is it online? Is it a bit of all the above? Max out your LinkedIn connections each week, <laughs> but then also link in with, if you've got a healthy chamber of commerce um, in your city, utilize that. Go to the networking events. See what's on your LinkedIn for local events and just go to them. They're uncomfortable. And no one really likes networking when it's your first time, but go there and pick off a couple of crowds to integrate with and talk to and just work the room as best as you can. You're going to be nervous. Your voice is going to shake. You're going to get a little sweaty because it's weird, but <laughs> just do it and try and remember everyone's name and look them up later and touch base with them. Hey, it was lovely to meet you. I'd love to catch up again for a coffee where we can talk a little bit and just do that. Try and pick off one or two people from those events to be your people, follow them up meet with them, make a better connection, and repeat. Excellent. Thanks, Craig. How about you, Jacob? I would probably tell myself, similar to what Greg said, you know, max out your LinkedIn connections and go to all the networking events. I would say, are you interested in real estate or are you committed to real estate? Uh, if that's something that you're interested in or whatever business that you're, a, you're looking to be a part of, are you interested? and just want to get to know how it works and how to make money quickly and a get-rich-quick scheme, or are you committed? When I came into 20 or it was an 18, 17-year-old business, when I came in with a legacy that was my father's, you know, I, I had big shoes to fill and I had to do it very quickly. And I didn't want to be Leon's son. I wanted to be Jacob Carlisle. So I had to make a name for myself and develop my own reputation off the back of that and being Leon's son and, you know, inheriting that legacy is also incredible and has done wonders for me. But I also wanted to establish who I was and advice that I would give to myself is to back myself earlier into that. I knew what I wanted to do and I knew how to do it or I was learning how to do it, but I should have just backed myself a little bit earlier and really committed myself to it. Is there an example where you were sort of, you second-guessed yourself or was it, you know, you, you waited longer than you would have if you knew what you know now? Yeah, look, I, I would have just taken the reins and developed systems and processes and developed what I wanted to develop within the business without waiting for dad's approval and having to consult dad on everything, which he's an excellent mentor to bounce ideas off. But I also wanted to forge my own way and develop this business in a way that is going to be scalable beyond us and that can be scalable beyond our one office as well. So backing myself in not seeking dad's approval on everything, but also seeking wise counsel at the same time, uh, you know, I would balance that a little bit better. 
Was there ever a tension with your ideas for growth? You want to scale, you want to expand, but your dad's built this very, you know, reputation-based and high-quality small team in the local community, one office, and, you know, perhaps doesn't want to grow as much? Has that been ever a source of tension for long-term vision? Yeah, it's a bit of a yo-yo, actually, because sometimes he has ambitious ideas and ambitious plans, and then I'm the one to rein them back in, or Greg's the one to rein them back in, and Sometimes we're the ones with ambitious ideas and dad might rein us back in a little bit. So, yeah, we're, we're constantly battling. Uh, well, battling is probably not the right word. Just healthily discussing and debating, <laughs> um, you know, ambitious plans for, for the business and what we want to do. But, yeah, I would say it's probably even Stevens, really. In the next five years, you have a medium-term vision for hot property. You've mentioned complementary services like buyers, agents, property maintenance. Obviously, there's a whole you know, extra things from mortgage broking to conveyancing to, to other sales that you could sort of add in. Is it an expansion within Toowoomba, so more services for Toowoomba, or is it sort of scaling the property management across other parts of Queensland or Australia? Or, yeah, what's the sort of medium-term five-year vision? Um, we've just built a beautiful brand-new office. We'll fit it out a beautiful brand-new office in Toowoomba here, and we've got 21 staff where we can sit 60 comfortably in it if that's any indication, <laughs> we plan to continue to see get really good opportunities for the business, whether that is within the Toowoomba region or whether they pop up in southeast Queensland. We really don't mind. We, our core focus at the moment is making sure that our current business unit operates the best it can, unlocking growth in all of our team and developing really good systems and processes. So if we were ever to duplicate what we've done in Toowoomba, it can be done very seamlessly. And just creating a very good head office, if you will, within Toowoomba, which can be a great case study for how we can build upon acquisitions of multiple businesses and systemize and process them with really good track record. And so you've actually mentioned sort of systems and process and some of the franchises you bought didn't, ironically, even though franchises often have reputation for, you know, selling really good systems and processes, maybe at the the more the McDonald's and the ones who are famous for that. How do you see other small businesses that you might know struggle with systems and processes? Is it a lack of, you know, thought, a lack of training, a lack of technology, a lack of sort of clear processes, like even process mapping? How have you been able to really do well in that area when so many small businesses struggle? I think being young, we probably bring a bit of naivety to that. And we go, right, how do we want our business to be engaged with? How do we want the customer journey to look? When do they get a follow-up? When do they get a gift? When do they engage with our brand? And when do they receive touch points from our staff? What can be automated as well through technology? You know, we can just look at that completely green. And I think a lot of businesses have been great operators at what they do. So they might be a great plumber or a great electrician or a great marketer or whatever that is in in their, in their specific business and they've just gone rightio well I'm going to go and open a plumbing business you know I'm a great plumber and I know how to do great plumbing and I might as well make all that money for myself but building a business is different from opening a business and slapping your name up and putting some signs out and you know putting a website up building a business is a business is a separate entity so it needs to have its own personality it needs to have its own brand it needs to have its own people and it needs to have its own machine that that drives what it does and how it generates profit and you know how it engages with people. So I think there's such an opportunity in other businesses that they just need to take a step back and look at what does our business do? Does our business have its own personality? Does our business operate independently of me? Because that that's the mistakes that I see in in business. I think in small business. You know, once you get to medium and larger businesses, which, you know, we're in the medium business category now, they're businesses of a, of a similar mindset and they're trying to do what the large businesses have done, but do it a little bit differently and engage more with their clients and have more of a brand personality and that sort of thing. And would you ever consider franchising yourself, like having franchisees in different locations as you've got these really good systems and thoughts and processes to sort of use that as a method of growth? Is that something that's ever come up? It'd be something we'd definitely consider. It's something we have. We've played with a lot of ideas in our board meetings, but it is something we've discussed. But we really want to make sure we've got the product 100% right 
Because if you jump ahead, even though we're receiving such great uh, success over the last three years, you don't want to overshoot it and go, okay, we're going to open up all these awesome franchised offices and then we can't provide the support or the training that we'd really love to do. So we're trying to make sure that we perfect the product and then see what opportunities arise. Um, can't say it's a definite, but it's definitely something we're talking about. We'll just have to see what happens in the next few years as we finalise the product. Yeah, and I think we've grown so quickly that we'd love to go and let's say we go to another geographical area within Queensland and we acquire a, a business or we offer the hot property model to someone. You know, we know how to grow quickly now. So when you're going quick, you don't want the wheels to fall off. So we want to make sure that there's mechanisms in place to safeguard us and to safeguard anyone else within those businesses. So we want to do it right. We want to do it properly. We want to make sure that there's the appropriate risk measurements in place and, you know, make sure that that it's in everyone's best interest, not just in our interest of growing profits. And like you said before, Derek, all these franchise offices build out all these systems and processes, then they're never followed. They're never maintained. Like we'd hate to build all this and then we franchise out and it gets diluted, the importance of what we've built, or they don't understand the importance of why we do X, Y, Z, and then they end up with a massive issue. You're on the front page of the Australian. (laughs) (laughs) Like we just want to make sure that whatever we build is going to be practical and very effective. Yeah, no, excellent. Do you have any final thoughts or, or words you'd each like to leave the audience with? Oh, throw me out of the bus, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think that, that piece of advice that, that I would give myself would, would you know, I'd love to listen to, to this podcast, you know, in five years' time or also five years ago and see how how business evolves and how we as business owners and entrepreneurs have evolved. But, you know, at the end of the day, you'll know in your gut what what is right, what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing at the same time. Just trust that and seek wise counsel around you. I wouldn't be where I am without the counsel of of Greg and, and my dad, Leon, but also so many mentors within Toowoomba and abroad that, that I've learned from and continuing to learn is, is one of my values personally. So yeah, I'm always filling my ears and my brain and my eyes full of as much education as I can and continuing to get better and not knowing or knowing that I'm not, I haven't peaked yet. And there's more to come. Yeah, couldn't agree more. That mental piece is just so important. And it's the bridging the gap between your theoretical knowledge that you may see online or in a textbook. It's finding people that have journeyed that and helping you find the link between the theoretical and the practical application Mm -hmm. in your scenarios. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such a key piece of information. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks, Derek. Cheers, Derek. Thank you for listening to the Future of Australia podcast. If you liked the episode, please subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. To learn more about the Future of Australia project, check out futureofaustralia.com. To reach out to Derek directly, you can email derek at futureofaustralia.com. That's D-E-R-E-K at futureofaustralia.com.